went down to Hollywood yesterday, just like to go to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery and stuff. And I decided to look up like locations for silent films and stuff. So I went down to like like the famous Hollywood Boulevard kind of thing with the stars. Fucking gross, yeah. man. Don't go. I, I'm I'm not gonna take you guys down there because it's so fucking disgusting and horrible. Like. <laughs> What's so gross about it? There's just the people, there's just really crazy ass people down there that are like clinging to like the entertainment American dream and stuff like that. And it's just, yeah, it's really dirty and stuff. And like, sure enough, I park my car and I'm trying to go to this coffee shop that they filmed a silent film in back in the day. And this kid with no mask on and a selfie stick is comes up to my car window and is trying to interview me and talk to me. What? And I just, I'm just saying to him, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. What the fuck are you doing? You little creep. And he's like, why do you have your mask on? And I was just like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? And then I take a sip of juice and he's all like, oh, she's drinking her juicy juice. And I was just like, I wish I had my taser right now. I really do. I just want to tase you in the face. Holy shit. Oh my god. And so I followed him to scare him because I was just like, fuck this, this is pissing me off. <laughs> and he, he walked faster and shit. <laughs> you should have, oh man, too bad you didn't have like the Jaws theme song and just blaring yeah. it as you're like, oh, no, man. I had my keys and my fingers like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Disrupt my peace, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> one time I was in this other restaurant and I had a the homeless person came in it was called Musso and Franks and they started in like the turn of the century and this woman probably in her 40s comes in who's just like a baked potato really like just leather skin homeless woman and yeah. she goes I'm old Hollywood I demand a steak and <laughs> <laughs> she was demanding food and she's just they're like kate like pushing her out and these guys oh in ties God. and stuff like that and she's like do you know who i am oh that's awesome yeah it's sad <laughs> but awesome i just said to james i was like yes. <laughs> i once had sex with abbott and costa <laughs> exactly <laughs> Cecil B. DeMille is my uncle. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's it. Sounds like such a wild, fun time. Oh, yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Just the characters, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just throw Spider-Man in the mix, and you're you're ready to go. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And speaking of weird characters, uh, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris. Here, as always, is Heather. Hello. And joining us from Los Angeles, the home of the characters, is Caitlin Weber. Oh, hi. <laughs> oh, yeah. So today will be the final episode on the life of Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein. And uh, this episode is it's going to be sad. Still sad. Oh, really? What a surprise. Um, yeah, weird. <laughs> but like, I as I mentioned, it. yeah, I, I mean, as I mentioned it in uh, earlier episodes, it, it ends on a bittersweet note. So it, it's kind of a happy ish ending that's good as happy as this story can be i guess yeah man i'm just like i'm very i'm gonna be very happy to be done with this not because it's not interesting but it's like it's very sad it's a it's bummer like kinda, yeah it's been bumming me out for the last few weeks i'm not mm -hmm. gonna lie yeah mm. for sure are we gonna be like what almost like probably five hours by the end of this 
of Mary Shelley content? Probably, yeah. Crazy. Whee! Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't have any idea when we brought up that suggestion, did we? Uh-uh. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we could just jump right in. Yes. Like a bunny. <laughs> Last time on Mary Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> Last time on The Goth and the Restless. <laughs> so last time we left uh, Percy going in his boat, right? Yeah, so when we lost... Uh, <laughs> so when we last saw Mary, um, they had moved into a house, uh, Casa Mani, near Spezia. Uh, Percy and Byron were trying to get their magazine venture off the ground. And along with Williams, they had sailed to Genoa to welcome the hunts. And so like the hunt, Lee Hunt was going to help them with the magazine. So they, yeah. him, him and his family moved to Italy. Um, so William and Percy sailed off together back to Spezia after getting the hunt settled. And they sailed off into some bad weather and with a poor sailboat that was top-heavy with <laughs> <Yeah>. huge teeths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that got us pretty good. <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to go well. Yep. <laughs> so Trelawney reached the Casa Mani the next day after, um, after Percy and William sailed off. Yeah. And he was bewildered to find that the Don Juan had not already arrived, but he tried to remain calm. By July 10th, it was apparent to all that something had gone terribly wrong. Trelawney set out to find any word about Shelley and Williams. Byron had also heard nothing and sent the Boulevard out to search for them. They began to ask around the town as well, and the locals told them to check the beach where debris had washed up. Mm. The debris did belong to the Don Juan. Oh wow. my god. Yep. So Jane and Claire were in hysterics at this news, but Mary tried to keep calm, assuring them that everything would be all right. She was kind of in denial about it, really. And, you know, their relationship had been kind of tumultuous up until this point for about a year or so. Like, even by the Hunt's account, she was really cold toward him. And, like, understandably so, with all the death of the the children that they had. So, I mean, he and even Shelley himself was writing poetry that clearly was about her that painted her in like almost an insufferable light. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that denial really stemmed from her regret from that. Yeah, that could be for sure. So he's definitely dead. Yeah. Well, well, we, they don't know yet. Yeah. They haven't found any bodies. Just, just the Mm -hmm. boat. Yeah. They just found pieces of the wreckage. Yeah. So even though Mary had not fully recovered from her latest miscarriage, she insisted that they make the trip to Pisa to find out what they could. When they arrived, no one had yet heard anything of her husband. The women had set out for Leghorn, and when they arrived, they found Captain Hook and learned what they could from him. Mary had not rested and was in a fragile state, but she insisted that they went back to the Casamani in hopes that their husbands would arrive one way or another. Trelawney accompanied them back, and he tried to be as of much help to them as he could. For the next five days and nights, they desperately held on to hope, and even the strong-willed Mary was faltering, but still clinging to a chance that she would see Shelley again. Then on July 18th, a letter came to Casamani for Trelawney. He had left for Leghorn for further information, and Claire received the letter. It was from Captain Hook. The letter was short. The bodies of two men had washed ashore. So Claire... Unable to break the news to Mary and Jane, had asked Lee Hunt to come and break the news. Meanwhile, Trelawney went to investigate the two bodies that had washed up miles apart. So when he arrived, the bodies were unrecognizable, 
but he identified Shelley by a book of Sophocles' plays that rested in one of the jacket pockets. <laughs> That's just like, I don't know. It's because you said your book said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it did. It just seems too poetic to be true. But... I know. It just it seems like they made that shit up. But I mean, those clothes were made well back then. Probably was was steadfast in his breast pocket. Who is Sophocles again? <laughs> what kind of plays did he write? He was a he was a Greek uh, dramatist. Mm-hmm. Like he he wrote. You know, like he's like some of the famous most famous Greek dramas, um, ancient Greek dramas. So Williams was also identified from his clothing. Yeah. Mm. Trelawney made his way back to Casamani, beating Lee there. When he entered, he spoke not a word, but his face said all that needed to be said. Their husbands were dead. Yikes. Yeah, it's really <laughs> sucky. And Mary was having tons of nightmares about his death at sea. You know, I think as we mentioned before. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and Shelley was having his own nightmares about um, about, you know, just him in the sea and being swallowed up and yeah it's like buying a race car and then saying you're gonna go racing and stuff when you've never done it before (laughs) and expecting nothing bad to happen yeah yeah it's definitely an Earnhardt's gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) so on August 13th William's body was cremated Trelawney Byron and Hunt were present the following day, Shelley's remains were also cremated there on the beach. Trelawney was said to have grabbed the still intact heart from the pyre and encased it in a lead-lined metal box, which he gave to Hunt to give to Mary. It's said that Hunt had refused to give up the heart at first, yeah. but after some convincing, uh, he relinquished it to Barry. They had a big argument in the carriage leaving the, the uh, cremation that she writes about in her diaries as being very yeah what was it again why why did why did hunt want to not give it up? well i guess they all took kind of like a souvenir from the pyre like somebody got a jawbone somebody got i can't remember what else and hunt wanted the heart but i don't know I, i can't remember if mary insisted that she should have it or someone else suggested it but um yeah they they argued about it that's excessive. Yeah. Dude, different time, man. Different time. Give me that toe. <laughs> yeah. I want that toe. That was my favorite toe. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Mary would keep it until her death. Yeah. It stayed in a, a desk drawer for about 30 years, they say. Yeah. I think when they found it or when somebody found it like l- later, it had basically turned to dust. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So Mary was 25 and Shelley had not yet turned 30. Man, Aww. really young. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Damn. So in mid-August of 1822, Mary wrote down her feelings about the events in a letter to Miss Grisborne. Well, here is my story. The last story I shall have to tell. All that might have been bright in my life is now despoiled. I shall live to improve myself, to take care of my child, and render myself worthy to join him. Soon my weary pilgrimage will begin. I rest now, but soon I must leave Italy, and then there is an end of all but despair. Mary Shelley. So Mary tried not to fall into the deep chasm of depression, as many would have understandably thought she would. I think she had also taken to heart her father's words, you know, when he he wrote to her about the dangers of self-pity and grief, and how that kind of makes you so insufferable that everybody leaves you, basically. Right, and and 
internally she was suffering to a, a great degree you know as, as mm-hmm. i was saying um about her regret of you know kind of how things were when he passed she would write about it all the time in her journals but i mean outwardly to everyone they were shocked at how calm and resolute she seemed but that certainly was just hiding the the real pain she had yeah i mean yeah even though their relationship was like very you know like you said ch- tumultuous um mm-hmm. like i think they both really really loved each other oh it was yeah just, you know it was a yeah, lot they of did. complicated things with themselves and happening around them that made a and, and it made it not an easy relationship no it, it never was it's that's yeah, true you know, <laughs> yeah it didn't start out like super great yeah i mean it was super romantic and everything but it was not an easy road you had me when you stormed into my room with a gun and a bottle of laudanum <laughs> you had me when we banged on my mother's grave oh yeah Ew. <laughs> just the way she would have wanted it true story <laughs> so for her child's sake and for her own she plotted on with her life and work she had to make new living arrangements work with the shelley's estate and inform his family so she wrote to shelley's father but received no reply shelley's father had also cut off the meager allowance that she had been giving or that he had been giving his son yeah which was like it was that was like the, the hundred pounds a year Soon, Mary began to work with Lee Hunt, and they put out the first issue of The Liberal, the magazine they had been working to get off the ground, um, as well as a publication of her late husband's poetry, which she edited. Byron and Trelawney gave what financial assistance that they could to Mary, and she and the baby went to live with the Hunts. Everyone was in awe of her strength and perseverance in the face of this tragedy, but it was her conviction not to be claimed by despair that kept her going. She did, however, reveal her true feelings um, and sufferings in her journal, which was for her alone. Yeah, she was really good at <laughs> at separating the two. Can't <laughs> relate at all. Cl- playing it close <laughs> to the chest, yeah. <laughs> so Claire soon left Italy to join her brother Charles in Vienna. She took up a post as a tutor. Claire and Mary would see each other very seldom, but they often wrote to one another. yeah. But it was all like, it was not all catty, but a lot of it was. It's just like, kind of like a relationship out of, uh, not convenience, but like, obligation. They Yeah. That's so sad. I know. It's just too bad. Yeah. yeah, I feel like Mary... It's the worst when shit turns into that. Yeah, yeah I feel like Mary probably felt more the more of a, more obligation, you know, just kind of yeah. being the older and... and... I don't know. Not not that she dragged Jane into the situation with Percy, no. um, like kind of into their whole relationships. But I I think Mary always kind of felt a little responsible. And it's also said that Jane, um, not Jane, but Claire, she never stopped being in love with Percy too. I mean, that was a mm. a huge thing. I mean, as far as the as the lens of the book I was reading presented it that's selfish man give it up the one i read didn't really touch on that um yeah that relationship that much but again it was a little more sympathetic to percy um which i kind of you know was like one of my few scruples about the book it seemed like he didn't want to paint percy in a bad light at all yeah just was a little a little suspicious you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah a little bit because uh i mean the author of my book didn't paint him in like a bad light, but certainly they weren't going to candy coat anything, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, 
had no yeah. qualms about listing his shortcomings. Which were numerous. Yep. A whole lot. So Mary and the Hunts moved to... Oh, sorry. And right up top, I got to make a... Uh, I got to fix a mistake that I made in the last episode. Oh, okay. So when Mary was living with the Williams um, yeah. before, like Mary and Shelley, I had said that they had a bunch of kids. That wasn't true. It was actually... It's the Hunts that have the like Hunts did, seven yeah. kids. So yeah, but that was totally my mistake. I, I, I mixed up the two. Um, So... Just let everybody know. The Hunts have all the kids who are intolerable little brats. Shit ton of kids, The Williams do not have kids. Right. Bad, bad. (laughs) (laughs) Corrections corner. (laughs) So Mary and the Hunts moved to Genoa as Pisa held many sad memories. Byron also was moving there and promised Mary that he would help her, would help support her in this time of difficulty. But this did little to quell Mary's dislike of Byron. So they saw little of one another, though Mary did transcribe poems for Byron at his request. You know, it's interesting. My book says that she was kind of on the edge of pursuing a relationship with him. Yeah, I read that in something, too. Um, yeah. That might have been mentioned in my book, but uh, I don't know. I know. Man. Rebound, I kinda, baby. I mean, Rebound. Did, yeah. She's confused. Ain't that the truth? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Did yours have like kind of truth. evidence to back it up? Because mine only kind of mentions it as a very brief like footnote. I mean, there's a lot of sourcing from her her writings, and I mean, just really um, letters back and forth between her and everyone in her life. So I'm just wondering. I don't know if it's like completely substantiated, but it, that was definitely something they they spoke about it at, at length. Yeah, mine didn't uh, mention it at length. It was just a very, like, some people think maybe this, but. Yeah, and it could be conjecture still at this point. There's there's really no true way to know 100%. It's just a lot of their correspondences were tongue-in-cheek, and I think sometimes it's hard to discern, like, what's what's jest and what's truth. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, because he was, I mean, not that, Byron, not that I would say Byron's ever faithful, but I think he was still with... Um, the Countess uh, Guiccioli. Guiccioli. I think so at that point. Was yeah. her name Teresa? Yeah, Teresa. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm. It's all suspicious. I just don't know why she'd want to be with, like, hook up with Byron after all the bullshit. She loved him for his brain, you know? I mean, he was still the hottest guy in England. Yep. And she still considered him a brilliant poet, too. So. Yeah, that's true. So Mary found life with the Hunts intolerable, as she found them disorderly and chaotic. It was not that she wasn't grateful, but it gave her little solace, time, nor quiet to work. Hunt and Byron were also not seeing eye-to-eye on the magazine, and its collapse was imminent. The task of editing Shelley's posthumous poems became more difficult than it already was from these distractions. But Mary could not afford her own place at the moment, so she had to endure these circumstances. Byron did not pay Mary the money that he had promised to her, and she was too proud to hound him for it. She wrote to Shelley's father once more for assistance, but he was also silent on this matter. Yep, Byron just kept dicking her over. Mm Mm-hmm. Really. In more ways than one. No, just kidding. Ah. (laughs) So their magazine, The Liberal, did not do well in England, and without Shelley to keep the magazine together, it soon fell apart. Shelley had put up almost all of the money to get the Hunts to Italy and the publication of the first issue of The Liberal. Byron had promised Shelley that he would split the costs with him, but after Shelley's death, he had paid none of it. 
It was 1,000 pounds, not a meager sum, and Mary now saw that it should go to her. But Byron was slow to make good on his promise. He's such a dickhead. <laughs> He's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eat my ass. What are you going to do about it, hmm, nerd? <laughs> You're poor. <laughs> <laughs> so Shelley's father, Timothy, finally wrote to Mary on January 23rd, 1823. He told her that he would be happy to help support young Percy on the condition that Mary give Percy up to a third party of the Shelley's choosing. Mary furiously wrote a short letter declining his generous offer. Dude, I, I don't know if that's just the way things happened around this time where it's, just, you know, like, because so. yeah. um, it, it was the it same was thing really with common. It was the same thing with Claire's uh, baby with Byron. Byron's like, sure, yeah, I'll take care women, of it. <laughs> single women weren't considered a fit parent. Mm -hmm. And like that happened to like um, the Grimm brothers. They their their mother lost them once their father died Aww. and they had to go oh. live with somebody else it's just funny because it's always like to a third party and it's like well sure i'll help the baby but i don't want to take care of it <laughs> yeah because they're like it's so fucked because they're considered orphans at that point almost it's oh yeah like just a step above it it's really weird too because like infidelity was like huge around this time everybody was having affairs with everyone else and having illegitimate children but, like, once the Victorian era came around, that shit was, they put the the stop on that. Like, mm. it, it, society changed to become that yeah. conservative. But it's so funny because it, it still wasn't conservative, though. It was just, it was, it was, like, more conservative on the surface. But, like, I think we had talked about in the first episode. Yeah. People, everybody was still fucking everybody else. It yeah. was just behind closed doors now, you know? So weird. Maybe they're just more careful, um, you know, after Vic Queen Victoria came into power. I mean, who knows? It's just weird how Such things went from this to more conservative. Yeah. It's, but I guess yeah, it's it goes wild. like that through history. Yeah. But you can't stop. You can't stop people from partying, though, man. <laughs> and having all those kids out of wedlock. Hell yeah. Jesus. <laughs> God, I think I got pregnant last night. I don't even remember what happened. I don't know. I got syphilis or pregnant. I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps smallpox. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure. Oof. So Mary's own father then wrote to her, saying that he would be able to help her on the condition that she moved back to England. And seeing little choice, uh, Mary decided to accept his help. Yeah. She had no funds to get her belongings back to England, let alone her and her son's passage. She wrote to any and all friends for assistance, but they only gave her their sympathies. Byron and Trelawney were planning on leaving Italy to join in the Greek War of Independence. These fucking dudes, man, they're just... <laughs> I know, they're so basic. <laughs> basic dudes. So Trelawney came to Mary and offered her 200 pounds. Trelawney said that it was from Byron, but Mary knew that it wasn't. She refused the money, knowing that Trelawney was also low on funds. But he insisted, saying that it was a gift for her and the friend who he had so dearly loved. So she could not refuse it when put that way. Yeah. Byron was said to have left with 10,000 pounds, and he hadn't given her a penny. Yep. He's such I think, a I think, I think Trelawney only sugar. had like 500 pounds, and he gave, yeah. you know, 200 to, to Mary. Yeah. yeah it's... God, dude, Byron's such a piece of shit. It's so yeah, but I mean, Trelawney doesn't end up being much better, you know. 
Yeah, it's it was just really weird, you know, because he's I he's know. like the better person in this whole story, or the better, you know, like the better dude. And yeah, he kind of turns into a dickhead. Fuckwad too. Yep. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> so Mary and her son left Genoa on July twenty fifth, eighteen twenty three, for England. They stopped in Paris and visited with old friends, as well as meeting Washington Irving and John Howard Payne who was the dramatist famous for Home Sweet Home. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, she was into Irving. Oh, man. Yeah. She wasn't interested in a whole lot of guys, but Washington Irving, she had the hats for him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and she she would keep a friendship with Irving like when she went back to England, and, you know, then they would spend a lot of time together. Um, Yeah. He was not interested, though. Yeah, because there there were theories and I think even rumors that they were intimate, but there's there's like no evidence that. They yeah. Were. Why was he not interested? Uh, I I, I don't know. know. Just a uh, just wasn't interested. I just, guess uh, I, I wasn't know. wasn't his type. I guess I don't know. Yeah, but you know Dang. she did have a lot of like people call like suitors and stuff. You know because she, she was oh, yeah. still young, she was attractive, and you know she was still this dazzling intellectual. Right. So she finally arrived back in London on August 25th and was met by her father and her half-brother, William. They set her up in her new lodgings on 195 Strand, where her stepmother also greeted her kindly. The stoic philosophy that she had inherited from her father's teachings kept her cautious in dealing with them. Their callous and often cruel behavior from the previous years was hard to reconcile, but she did end up finding a, a new admiration and respect for her father, and they kind of, you know, they they found some common ground between themselves, or that's the way that's the way it seems to be portrayed. Yeah. And Mary also found out that she was famous. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Yep. She'd been in Italy. She didn't know what was going on 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 the London side. Yeah. <gasps> so Valperga had done exceptionally well in the three months since its publishing. It did so well in the first publication that a second was called for. And all the money would go to Mary. And a play of Frankenstein. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, she actually gets all that. And finally something works out for her. Christ. Yeah, no. and they and they and they made a play um off Frankenstein. And it had been a smash in London. And she went to actually go see the twenty third performance of it. Yeah. And she also got all the royalties yeah. from the play. And this put her in a in a much better financial situation, and she was actually able to like oh buy her God. own home. Fuck yes! Yeah, dude. Yeah, give her a break. <laughs> she just gets back, and they're just like money, money. <laughs> She's like, what me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh. The byline still wasn't Mary Shelley at this point, right? It wasn't Frankenstein still attributed to Percy at this point. Um. So my book didn't really go into that, so I, I'm actually not sure. I, well, I wonder because because she was, I mean, she was famous from, you know, like, I think from True. Frankenstein's. I yeah, so maybe, that, maybe it had changed at that point. Maybe that was just a temporary thing. Yeah, it might have just been at the time. Because yeah. it seemed like seemed like London had changed a bit yeah. by the time she got back. Like, you know, the, the it, it wasn't as, it didn't seem as conservative um, yeah. as it had been, you know, like a lot of the things that they were getting like basically persecuted for were beginning to be more accepted around around this time not mm-hmm. not quite accepted but it wasn't things weren't such a taboo yeah I it guess. was moving like, forward. like a woman author mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it was like very slowly but yeah mm-hmm. so mary fell back into her father's social circle 
uh, many of many of whom Mary had spent time with when she was young in her father's study. She helped Irving get Godwin's works published in the U.S. So Timothy Shelley, who had maintained that he wanted nothing to do with her, found her rise to fame a shock. So he reached out to her and offered her 100 pounds a year to help support Percy, on the condition that she did not write or add anything to Shelley's biography nor publish any of his works. It's kind of shitty. That's a horrible, yeah. He, Why? Well, he, Why would he do that? He wasn't interested in, in his son's fame or talent. He was interested in the family name and the reputation. Oh, because his son's a degenerate and stuff yes. like that. And he's still... <laughs> yes. I would have published it. <laughs> Kiss my ass. Well, yeah. She uh, yeah, she kind of find out. She found ways. <laughs> yep. So Mary, knowing that her financial situation could change at any moment, she agreed. But as we just said, she would try to find ways to get around this provision on Shelley's work. Yep. So Mary had written to Jane Williams, asking her if she wanted to come live with her and Percy. Uh, Jane agreed, and they found a new apartment on Highgate Hill. So Mary grinded away on editing her husband's work for his, for his publisher, as she was eager to publish the uh, posthumous poems. Mary also worked on another novel, and around this time she also wrote one of her most famous poems, The Choice. But this poem wouldn't be published until 1876. Uh... Many were spellbound by Mary's strength and dedication to carving out a new life for herself. She had two goals that kept her out of spiraling depression. First, she wanted to raise Percy in a way that honored the memory of Shelley. And second, she wanted to do everything she could to elevate her late husband as the poet and intellectual she knew he was. She was, he was basically like an angel in the sky to her at this point. You know, yeah. She regarded him with such... It's almost like a religious level of uh, reverence. Is that is that the correct word? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really it is. It's like he he can do no wrong. Has almost has done no wrong. Yeah, um, like after yeah. like a celebrity dies, they're like, oh my god, they were the best person ever. I know, like Anne <laughs> like, Nicole Smith or something. No, shit they like weren't. That. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it it was her husband, and if she. Wanted to cope that way, you know. I, yeah. I, I suppose it can't be helped. I mean, I don't know. I recently had someone die in my life that I feel like, you know, wronged me in a lot of ways. But I don't remember any of that now. And I I still think fondly of that person. Yeah. And I probably will forever. You know? Yeah. I guess it kind of happens when someone dies. That's Mother Nature's uh, safety blanket, I guess. For a grievance. <laughs> yeah, it's the same of like when you uh, you forget the pain of um, having childbirth, I guess. Yeah. You know. Or how much it sucks to get sick, like food poisoning, and you eat raw oysters again anyway. I still love oysters, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Death is just like that. It's exactly <laughs> like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. <laughs> Death and diarrhea, tomato, tomato. <laughs> one releases so, the soul, one releases your ass. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> Dysentery is a happy medium. <laughs> we all exit this world shitting our pants, you know? Yeah, it's true. We really do. <laughs> mm -hmm. So 1824 became another year of hardships. Mary's work on Shelley's poems uh, was published with her notes on them. Timothy Shelley was outraged that she had defied the terms of their agreement, 
and made it clear that if she did not withdraw the remaining copies, he would stop the payments. Mary had to submit, but she published some of Shelley's poems in an anthology along with the works of Keats and Coleridge. And she would kind of keep trying to do little things oh, like yeah. circumvent. Yeah. She'd slip them in here, slide yeah. under a door there. Oh, <laughs> oh, you're doing ooh. an anthology? Oh, just want to slide a couple of these in here? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't my suggestion or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, Shelley's poems were really, I mean, people considered him as a great poet. Like his mm-hmm. his reputation would continue to build after he died. And like he would get to like a, a much repaired point compared to yeah. that of when he lived. Yeah, and I and I started reading some of his stuff. It's pretty good. You know, yeah. like I think a couple of them get a little bogged down in like these intellectual like philosophical questions. Like mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's kind of disjointed and it's not like cohesive thoughts. But yeah. um but he's but he's really good. I I like his stuff a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, especially thinking about how flighty of a person he would be, I would make sense that, you know, his his style would be like that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> So, Timothy would soften and allow the works to be published in 1829, and Mary would put out a new volume with her notes and additions that, some, that made it somewhat biographical. So, Mary began working on her third novel, The Last Man, which would have some of the same fantasy elements that fans of Frankenstein were so eager for. But she found the work hard and laborious, not at all fluid and easy like Frankenstein. She had become a true professional writer. It's like, it's actually Woo-hoo! fucking work. Boss <laughs> <Yay>. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Mary also found herself in finan- financial difficulties again. She had depleted most of the money from Valperga and the Frankenstein play royalties. She had, uh, she had to give up many of the luxuries and social engagements that she had grown fond of. In late April, Mary and all of England learned of the death of Lord Byron in Greece from illness. Yeah. So his body was brought back to England, and he was hailed by liberals and the Greek community for his part in the Greek Revolution against the Turks. Though Mary had never completely forgiven Byron, um, mostly for his treatment of women and his poor treatment after Shelley's death, um, she did realize that he had been a good friend for a long time, and he could be a good man at times. Yeah. So she ended up never speaking bad of him, um, but you know, even though she might be tempted here and there, she only just said good things about him. Yeah, not publicly, asked. anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, at least not publicly. Ooh, taking the higher road. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, yeah, because he still was like the darling of, you know, the poetic circles. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't lost on her that he was an important figure of their time. And mm-hmm. also, like, he was, uh, she was, I think, the last surviving member of that, that fateful night when they were on Lake... Uh, in the lake in Switzerland. Oh yeah, like yeah, her and Jane, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, her and Jane. Yeah. Uh, it. What was that in like eighteen eighteen? So about yeah. eleven years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's such a short time. I know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think of being at like a party and eleven years ago, and everybody you're the last surviving person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a dinner get together. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) So Mary published The Last Man in 1826, and with a few exceptions, it gained glowing reviews. Though posterity has deemed it of little literary quality, 
Um, her use of Shelley and Byron as influences on the two characters have interested scholars for generations. Yeah. But in her time, it was seen as a great work and elevated Mary's reputation as a writer to even greater heights. So she earned 600 pounds from the first printing and received another 100 annually thereafter. And Mary's tarnished reputation from the years previous had also seemed to mend. She was respected for her moral values and her devotion to her son. This acclaim and the respect she was garnishing for her moral fortitude had softened Timothy and warmed his affections towards her. So in the spring of 1826, he agreed to double her allowances. Yeah. It's like, I can only show my affection in only one way. Money. Money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but don't As come to my house. You're still not welcome in my house. <laughs> don't come anywhere near me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this improved Mary's circumstances greatly, and she was able to afford new clothes for herself and Percy, and she was able to purchase new books that she had been eager to read. She was uh, now able to entertain guests again without fear or shame of not being able to reciprocate. She was even able to help her father financially when he once again found himself in dire straits. Nice. So yeah, yeah, well, man. That must have been a nice feeling. <laughs> so as tensions between Mary and Jane were growing in the household, Mary was somewhat relieved when Jane finally gave in to Hogg's repeated attempts at courtship. Jane became Hogg's common-law wife in 1827, which meant that they were not formally married, but they lived together, she took his name, and they were faithful to each other. Yeah, this is interesting because in the book that I was reading, it was suggested that uh, Mary was in love with Jane, like, and that they mm. possibly had a intimate relationship together for some of that time. <laughs> yeah, and that, uh, and actually, Mary was was like heartbroken over when she married. Um, yeah, over like because oh. like they eventually moved away, um, I believe, mm -hmm. and Jane and Mary would just bombard her with these really affectionate letters that oh. Jane would like entertain, but as we'll find out. Didn't feel the same mm. yep. <laughs> at all. <laughs> but yeah, interesting. Yep. So, you know, though Mary wished them well, um, she didn't know yet of the venomous rumors Jane would spread. Yep. Jane told her husband that her and Shelley had an affair and used a poem that Shelley had written to her as proof of his infidelity. And we're talking about uh, Percy. Yes. Hogg related these stories to everyone in their circle, and Jane kept feeding the lies with more lies. Well, supposed lies. Yeah. So this really, it, this saddened and angered Mary uh, when news reached her, and she had tried so hard to preserve her husband's legacy and memory as a good, kind, and generous man, and then, you know, Jane's just, like, smearing it all over again. Yeah, it's really awful. What she did. Yeah, super fucked up, man. It's and it's weird because they were, I mean, I guess into your point too of like why they might have been so close. I mean, they both lost their husbands at the same time. Yeah. You know, yeah, and they, they did. and then had had spent so much time together. So I mean that would kind of make sense, you know. Um yeah. if they did kind of grow some affection. Yeah. Um Ugh, just these people are <laughs> such betraying assholes. Can't oh, stand I know, it. Dude. So Mary, under advice from a friend and poet, Thomas More, 
wrote a vehement letter to Jane, demanding that she retract the awful lies and set things right. Jane sent a letter saying how hurt she was by Mary's anger, but she did not address the matter at hand. Yep. Oh, God. Yeah, she's like, Ew. what do you mean? Yeah. How could you say all these horrible things? <laughs> but Mary did not allow her to sidestep the issue and demanded an apology. Hogg seemed to believe the stories, but told Jane to end the feud. Um, seemed more out of pity for Mary, I think, than anything. Yeah. So Jane apologized and extended a hand for forgiveness. Mary, seeing no benefit to keeping the feud alive, agreed, and they seemed to let it go. Yeah. So they kept up their relationship, and Mary even became godmother to Jane's new baby, but the damage had been done to Shelley's posthumous reputation. Many still believed the lies, or supposed lies, mm -hmm. and Mary would never truly forgive Jane for the damaging blow. Yeah, and they, and they said, like, when she would, they would write back and forth, you know, and, and Jane said something stupid, like, that kind of hinted that she hadn't, that she was trying to kind of sweep this stuff under the rug. Mary wouldn't let her forget it. She wouldn't let it go. <laughs> you know, she would bring it up. Yeah, but, right. yeah, they kept up that friendship. I, I don't understand how you could do that. Yeah, I don't know, man. I guess it's just, like... Mary's lost so much in her life. I, I think true. maybe she might have just been Very like, uh, you know, like, what? what's the point? Yeah, you know? you're right. Mm. Ugh, poor girl. Yeah. So in 1826, Charles, the son of Shelley and his first wife, Harriet, died from illness. <laughs> this made Percy, um, you know, this the baby. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'd call him Percy Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Junior. So this made... This made Percy Jr. the heir to the Shelley baritancy and fortune. Fuck yes. That's so awesome. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so Mary wrote, Mary wrote to Timothy saying that she hoped that he would provide funds for the education of Percy under these sad circumstances. She's just like, oh, it's so sad. But, you know, she's just like, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're fucking loaded. <laughs> <laughs> No, she, she wanted Percy to, to uh, go to a public school. Yeah, but he didn't end up going to a public school, did he? He ended up going to like a private school, didn't he? Um, I think he went for like a, to a public school for a little bit, and then I think he yeah. ended up going to a private school. Yeah, um, I think it was the same school that Byron went to. If I if I remember oh, okay. correctly, yeah. Oh, neat, nice. Yeah, well, Jane wasn't happy about that, or Claire. Claire was pissed. <laughs> She's like. I don't understand your obsession with Byron. <laughs> she would write to her about about that all the time. <laughs> like, you're one to talk. <laughs> yeah. So Timothy agreed, wanting his son to get a proper education and become an English gentleman. Although he would not pay for room and board. <laughs> Such a fucking dick. Yeah. So Timothy also wanted to get to know his grandson, which Mary would allow. So Percy would visit the Shelley family three times a year, and Timothy would always still be cold and overbearing. Percy Jr. began to resemble his father more and more, and even though he was showing the same intellectual aptitude as his parents had, he did not take to the writing as take to writing as much as he did painting and drawing. Yeah. So and, and Mary took solace so in the fact. Something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mary took uh, solace in the fact that her son was 
intelligent, but not too intelligent as to make him stand out, having seen the hardships of those who stand out and fight the powers that be. So she was just kind of like, oh, I'm kind of glad he's just normal. Like, he's just going to be a normal guy. (laughs) Please don't be an intellectual. Please don't be a poet. Yeah. Please. (laughs) (laughs) So Mary wrote short stories and travel pieces. The women's movement had grown across Europe and America as the Industrial Revolution grew. More women were now in the workforce, working long hours for less pay. She was lambasted by some feminist writers for her silence on the growing women's movement and was considered a traitor to her sex by some. Yeah. But it isn't hard to see why she didn't take up the mantle that her mother did. Uh, Mary had grown disillusioned and weary of radicals, and the pains and hardships of her life and from her beliefs had subdued these early endeavors of like being some sort of like champion you know, for women's Mm -hmm. rights. Yeah. So as she wrote in her journal on March 8th, 1831. If I had raved and ranted about what I did not understand, had I accepted a set of opinions and propaganda with enthusiasm, had I been careless of attack and eager for notoriety, then the party to which I belonged would have gathered round me, and I would not have been alone. But since I lost Shelley, I have no wish to ally myself to the radical. They are full of revulsion to me, violent without any sense of justice, selfish in the extreme, talking without knowledge, rude, envious, and insolent. I wish to have nothing to do with them. Mary Shelley. Ooh. Yep. <laughs> She's like, y'all are a bunch of bitches. Yeah, this kind of seems to be the way it's just sort of like, Look, like, I know I'm Mary Wollstonecraft's daughter, but just, like, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, it's like, I'm barely 30 years old. I have lost so much in my life. I don't have time for this fucking shit. Like, Mm -hmm. y'all, you all got this. I, yeah, yeah, it wasn't that, yeah, it wasn't even that she wasn't, like, on their side or wasn't, you know, like, all for the movement. Yeah, she was. yeah, no, she was. It was just they took her silence as like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> they started like called her a traitor and and stuff. It yeah. was just kind of like, oh come on, man. It's like I'm not my mother, God. <laughs> I wonder how many of those people that said those things like have never dealt with the hardships that she had to, and like you know, I guarantee it. Ha- yeah, had con- constant resources, and like that's probably consistent with a lot of intellectuals, unfortunately. During mm-hmm. those times. Yeah. Yeah. And and I bet you there are a few people who really understood, like, all the hardships she went through. Like, even you said, Chris, like, when we were doing research, like, one author said that she didn't have really that interesting of a life, which that seems to me like that idea lasted for a long time until yeah. people really started digging into her. So I'm sure that was even more so while she was alive. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess you think about, you know, the amount of, like, child death that was happening or, you know, or just just death in general, you know, also, also all the wars and things that were going on around that time. I mean, yeah. you know, her life might, at you know, at a surface glance seem, you know, not that interesting or, or, yeah. no, or nothing special. You like know anyone I mean? else's at the time. True. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's also, you know, they also don't take into account you know, number one, she her becoming such a famous figure. Yeah. And two, like all the famous people around her, 
which really right. kind of just makes makes the story incredibly interesting, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, to me, anyway. Yeah, I mean, and also just her life is 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 very fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So Mary, however, was growing into a respected writer in her own right. Godwin's old age was affecting his health, and his eyesight was going, and he was becoming more crippled. Mary helped cement her father as a well-respected intellectual and man of letters, even garnishing him a government pension. Oh, dang. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, she went and petitioned and was like, he's a really important writer to England, you know, and so and she ended up getting getting him that, which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also they, took and a lot of pressure up, off her. Like trying to help each other, getting each other's works published. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were really devoted to each other, like just yeah, just building each other up and and supporting each other. Yeah, absolutely. Like, at at this last stretch of his life. So in early 1828, Mary went off to Paris to begin a lecture tour, but she contracted smallpox. She returned to England to recover from the illness and was luckily not permanently scarred like many had been. Yeah, and apparently, like, her hair, though, never, like, she lost a lot of her hair during the illness, and mm-hmm. it never fully recovered to its uh, its glory before. Oh. Yeah. So sad. So she eventually saw Claire again, but their relationship began to sour as Claire had become even more intolerable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mary also took on the role that Shelley once had to her family friends, that of a purse. She was asked for money often, even though she didn't have the means to help. But she did what she could in certain instances. So Claire blasted Mary for money on behalf of their brother Charles. And Mary obliged, even though she couldn't exactly afford it. And they and they actually had a falling out, too. Like, Charles didn't even speak to Mary. That's just It's just insane she would give all that money over, and they weren't even on speaking terms. Yeah, I think she tried to keep up that, uh, like that generosity that yeah. Shelley had. Yeah. yeah. So Trelawney came back to England in late 1828, and he seemed to be enjoying his life to the fullest, eating, drinking, seeing and making friends, almost getting into a duel, but always making time for Mary. <laughs> oh, Trelawney. <laughs> He's got to do it sometimes. <laughs> so he returned to Italy in 1829, and once he arrived he sent a letter to Mary to join him and help write a tribute to the memory of Shelley. She herself wanted to take on the task of writing a biography for Shelley, and she was also working on a new collection of his poems. She liked Trelawney, but didn't trust him to do the work. Yeah. So Mary sent a letter declining his offer, which he wrote an angry, railing letter of indignation. She ignored the reply, and it seemed to smooth itself out after he calmed down. But she did agree to help him edit and publish his own autobiography. He credited Mary for her help and for coming up with the new title, The Adventures of a Younger Son. But he later retracted her involvement and said that he had come up with the title. He had some, like, stupid-ass title before. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) So the autobiography was an over-glorified embellishment of his life and exploits, but it was so fascinating to read that Trelawney became famous quickly. So Trelawney, emboldened by his new fame, proposed to Mary. And these letters have been lost to time, but she did reply to his proposals in a teasing but polite rejection. Yeah, this went back and forth for a little while, too. And, you know, and, and though they would remain friends and would see each other at, like, social enga- engagements, it was never the same. And he kind of would criticize her behind her back, 
you know, he would criticize her for like her personal standards of propriety, her taste in literature and her friends. Say that she stinks and she's got a, a glazy eye and stuff. <laughs> uh, can't see my eyes rolling, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> mm hmm. Do you guys ever notice how Mary kind of smells like horse shit? <laughs> she doesn't even wipe her feet when she comes inside. <laughs> so Mary bore this slight with grace, but but it would be a lie to say that it didn't affect her in some ways. Yeah. She took everything to heart to a, yeah. To a fault. Yeah, as the author says, um, quote, but Mary had the last word, and her estimate of his character had been remembered by posterity and has served as his epitaph. He is a strange, wonderful being, but destroyed by being nothing. Unquote. Shots fired. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, Mary. Uh, yeah, dude. So in 1830, the publication of Mary's new historical romance, The Fortunes of Perkin Warbeck, had been set. <laughs> <laughs> so British. <laughs> <laughs> but there were complications. It was long, taking up three volumes, which had pushed back its publication until 1831. When it was published, it was a disappointment and, and was received neutrally. Yeah. Which was a disappointment because Mary had had really high hopes for the work, but it only received one printing in the end. And it, it did fare better in France, but due to the French publishers not sending all the royalties abroad, she made very little on the book. Oh, bummer. So Mary was going to send the now 13-year-old Percy to Harrow and the public school there, but the price for boarding was expensive. Wanting her son to go there, she moved from London to Harrow and enrolled him as a day student so she wouldn't have to pay for room and board. She also had to cut back on her contributions to the various magazines she wrote for. But Percy enjoyed his school, made friends easily, and did well in his studies. That's good. Yep. So for Mary, she had little distractions in Harrow and was able to concentrate on writing and reading. She finished editing Shelley's poems, and she wrote a portion of an encyclopedia, the Cabinet Cyclopedia, contributing on the lives of eminent literary and scientific men of Italy, Spain, Portugal, and France. An undertaking that took a great amount of research and study. Ooh. So yeah, it's, that's got to be nuts. Gives yeah. me anxiety thinking about it. Like, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's a yeah, heavy subject. <laughs> <laughs> she also began working on a new novel, Lador, to try and compensate for the failure of Perkin Warbeck. It was a work of fiction, and the main character was, of course, a model of Shelley. It was published in 1835 and was a hit. It was lauded as a masterpiece of fiction. Sales were slow at first, but they steadily picked up, and she made a handsome sum over a period of time. Ooh, hell yeah. So in 1836, her father died, and uh -huh. it was a blow for Mary. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yay! <laughs> <For> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn it. So she, yeah, dude, it's, man, every time things start going good for her, it's just like, somebody dies. Well, he was pretty old at this point, huh? Must have been. Yeah, he was, he was probably in his, geez. Um, 70s? Yeah, 70s, 80s. Jam. Wow, that's yep. a good one. Yeah, it's wow. almost 80s, yeah. Yeah, death is just like Kramer, you know, busted into the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, hi, Mario. Always. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> just 
so Steve Urkel and all over the place. <laughs> Did I do that? Mm. Your husband Hi. died. So she and her stepmother had been with him the whole time while he was bedridden. They took turns caring for him until he passed one evening. But having learned not to dwell on these losses, she went back to raising her son and writing. Jeez. So she went to work on her last novel, Faulkner. It was written for a female audience and tackled a theme of marital infidelity. <laughs> of marital infidelity. <laughs> Scandalous. The setting was historical, but the characters were of her own device. And it was published in 1827 in three volumes. And though it didn't get bad reviews, um, it, was, it was considered good. It just wasn't the masterpiece that many had come to expect from her. But it sold well enough and gained her, you know, more financial stability. She's making that money. Yeah, she's just turn, churning shit out, man. Yep. So Mary had enough to send Percy to Cambridge University with begrudging help from Timothy Shelley. So with her son now at university, she left Harrow for London and got herself a small house off of Regent's Park. So after years of being seen as a harlot who ran away with another woman's husband, who had children out of wedlock, and who was said to have had orgies and was a sexual and moral deviant, she had kind of thrown off this reputation and was now accepted and respected. The changing times had made Mary and Shelley's radical ideas mildly liberal, and public attitudes were changing with the times. Well, that's so, good. Yeah. Yeah, many came to see her, including politicians on all sides, writers of all disciplines, intellectuals, and the younger, newly forming generation of, of aspiring writers. Uh, they, they just all came to visit her and hold court and, you know, shoot the yeah. shit with her. Wow, that's great. Among them was Robert Browning, who was influenced by Shelley's work. And so uh, cool. Robert Browning is the one who wrote um, uh, Child Roll into the Dark Tower came. Oh, yeah. Which inspires uh, the Dark Tower series. Dark Tower. Wow. Mm -hmm. What a crazy line. Of like a string yeah. through that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you get from from the Shelleys to all the way to Stephen King. Wow, it's amazing. That's mm -hmm. cool. So the moment that she had worked so hard for and had been and had been one of her chief goals when Shelley died occurred in 1839. The poetic works of Percy Shelley were published, and though it was slow mm -hmm. at first, the reviews were wonderful, and he was elevated from obscurity to being one of the greatest poets of his time. That's awesome. And yeah. and she yeah. helped edit those poems too. You know, before She worked really them. really hard. Mhm. Mm yeah. Wow. Yeah, she had all kinds of notes about like, you know, the like inner like the inner themes and yeah. of, of the poem and things like that. So yeah, she just did uh, I mean, she worked on it for since his death up until its publication, yeah. I think. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. So Mary also began to become more acquainted with the Shelley family, except for Timothy. Uh, that door would always remain closed, but this didn't really bother Mary all that much. Right. So in 1840, Percy and some of his friends from college were planning a trip tour to Europe, and Mary was bewildered at their insistence that she join them. Aww, that's she sweet. declined. Yeah, she declined, feeling that you know these young men should go and enjoy themselves without Percy's 43-year-old mother tagging along. Aww. She appreciated the invitation, but she said it wasn't necessary. But Percy and his friends were not extending the invitation. <laughs> invitation. 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 <laughs> invitation. But Percy and his friends were not extending the invitation. God fucking damn it. 
Why is it such a hard one? The Just say it with an accent. Extending the invitation. 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 <laughs> but Percy and his friends. <laughs> but Percy and his friends were not extending the invitation out of obligation. Percy sent a letter stating that the trip would be called off if she did not accompany them. Aww. Before she could reply, they came to her house to plead in person that she reconsider. Mary, Why I just... Why did they want her to come so badly? That's so I think sweet, they just, though. He, Percy just loved his mom, and he wanted to, you know, have her come along, you know, probably to get her out of the house and, you know, and... You're like, show us all the know. cool oh places, mom. Yeah, yeah, everywhere. she had also traveled. I'm just imagining them like I just imagine them as frat boys and they just like yeah. bust in the house and they're like whoo 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 and they're like pick her up on a chair <laughs> and like parade her outside no, yeah <laughs> come on Mrs. Shelley you know come on like oh, come you're on. really cool <laughs> you know like most moms aren't cool but like you're cool like you're really like cool you are you're really cool <laughs> so so Mary hesitantly agreed. So they started in Paris, and Mary showed them the sights, making sure to see friends in the evening so that the boys could enjoy the nightlife as youths. To her dismay, she discovered that Percy also shared his father's love of boating, but she kept her anxieties to herself, even joining them on an outing. But it took great effort on wow, her part to keep balls, it together. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, holy crap. <laughs> She's just, like, gripping the side of the boat. She's like, it's so, mm, yeah, have a good time, honey. Mm. It's so pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> so they went to Milan next, and when money failed to arrive to fund their return journey, Mary put up the money and stayed with them. I'm like, is that the reason they actually asked for her to come? <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just saying. No, no. It was completely. You're right. It's just because she's was, cool as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she was cool. She was cool. She hoped that she would get some peace, but her fame kept that from happening. Yeah. She had so many invitations for social gatherings that she had to limit them to only a few. And they all had such a wonderful time that Percy was already talking about plans for another trip the following year. And Mary was also pleased. It seemed like she had a really good time as well. Yeah, I bet she did. Yeah. She finally gets to travel without like the pressure of where are we going to live next? Are we Will going the to baby have make it tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. so they went through some of the german states and then to prague then salzburg and into fucking italy is rad. <laughs> salzburg is cool per too fuck yeah i bet you guys are so lucky <laughs> so percy wanted to go to venice and this pained mary as her little daughter clara was buried near there percy then accompanied her on a painful pilgrimage of her past <laughs> jesus say that five times fast Painful pilgrimage of my past. Painful pilgrimage of my past. <laughs> so they went to Rome to see the graves of his father and brother William. They then oh. went to Genoa and visited the Casamani, where Shelley and her had spent their time. Uh, when they returned, uh, Mary wrote a travel piece called Rambles in Germany and Italy, 1840-43, to 43, where she candidly talked about her travels and her visits to the dead. It was nice. published in 1844, and it did well, selling out three printings. Ah, nice. Yeah. yeah. So when Timothy died in 1844, Percy inherited the estates, titles, and fortune, becoming Sir Percy. Yay! 
Well, damn, Percy. Oh, shit. Yeah, and, and, you know, and Mary's financial troubles would be at an end now. Yes. Finally. Fantastic. At least least her son's really good to her and, like, loves her a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, they're they're all, like, really close. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Mm. Aw, that's fabulous. So, for. It's the worst when you hear that about a kid being uh, just absolutely lame. Oh, a little piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. So for no other reason that I can see other than to get her out of their lives, Percy gave Claire 12,000 pounds, a small fortune. Holy fuck. So she, she could quit working, which made her even more miserable than she had become. <laughs> and she retired in Vienna and lived with her brother, Charles. She had enough to last her the rest of her life, but she squandered it all away in a few years. It became impoverished. <laughs> oh, Claire. Damn, what a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> Claire, what a dumbass. That's yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really I, you know, I know I know we shit on Claire a lot in these like episodes and I know I you feel bad for her, right? Cuz she she had to go through some shit. But oh yeah, yeah. She's really kind of a selfish oh, just lazy, selfish, just yeah, she's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. And even in her old age when she would after Mary's death and she would be, you know, asked about her, write about her. Um, it was always kind of snarky. You yeah. Know? Oh, well, she's I just think a there's a, loser then. a good amount of jealousy toward Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, even stemming Whatever. from like Percy. Petty. Yeah. I, so so she she squanders all this money away and then she goes to them asking for war. And Mary and Percy had done enough and they did not offer her assistance again. Good. I think I think Percy was kind of like uh, I think that was a payoff, like yeah. you know, from Percy Junior. You know, he's just like yeah. God, she's like just get out of here. He's get just this like bitch go out fucking... of her life, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she went back to work uh, teaching as a governess, and she retired at the age of seventy-two to a convent in Florence, where she died in eighteen seventy-nine, alone and bitter. Uh. Her care, her carelessness in her youth and her inability to mature had ruined her life. She died, and no one seemed to notice or mourn her. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, Aww. yeah. you yeah, do kind of feel bad about that. Yeah, it is. It's it is very sad. She just like yeah. so. Percy and Mary moved to Field Place, the Shelley ancestral home, and there Mary would spend the rest of her life. Mary finally got the rest and stability she deserved. She worked on a new novel, but it was never finished. And she never ended her pursuit of elevating her late husband's reputation and renown. Yeah. Percy soon married a young widow, Jane St. John. Jane and Mary became very close, and Mary thought of her as a daughter rather than a daughter-in-law. Jane had been an admirer of Mary and Shelley's work, and had even committed long passages of Shelley's work to memory, which greatly pleased Mary. So many so Janes ma- in the stories. Yeah, like the fifth Janes Jane. and Claire's, and yeah. <laughs> It's a really happy end of her life. Yeah, right here. that's cool. All mm. of this is really nice. So Mary soon fell into her old habits, writing in the morning, eating a meal, going for a long walk. She saw friends and had tea and returned to her solitude to read. She oh. would entertain guests with Percy and Lady Shelley into the evening, but being not being as young as she once was, she retired earlier. Oh. In 1851, Mary longed to be back in London and and attended by some servants, moved back into her London home. In January, Percy and Jane visited Mary, only to find her in poor health. 
She was bedridden and paralyzed on her left side. Mary knew that she would die soon, but wanted to stay in her home. Mm-hmm. Percy and Jane sent for doctors and specialists, but all said she was beyond medical help. She made plans for her burial, which she didn't care where they laid her to rest, and made an informal will to Percy that he should receive all of her possessions, money, property, and the rights to her literary work. She left money to Lee Hunt, Claire Claremont, and her childhood friend Isabel Baxter, whom she never forgot and always remembered fondly. Her paralysis grew worse, but she neither complained nor showed bitterness. Mary Wilsoncraft Godwin Shelley died on February 1, 1851 in her sleep. She was 54 years old. She was buried at Bournemouth Churchyard, and a private service was held. The clergyman who was presiding over the service read a passage from her journal rather than from the Bible. She had written it in 1840 and reads as follows. God and good angels guard us. Surely this world, stored outwardly with shapes and influences of beauty and good, is peopled in its intellectual life by myriads of living spirits that mold our thoughts to good, influence beneficially the course of events, and minister to the destiny of man. Whether the beloved dead make a portion of this company, I dare not guess, but that such exist I feel, far off, when we are worldly, evil, selfish, drawing near and imparting joy and sympathy when we rise to noble thoughts and disinterested action. Such surely gather round one on such an evening and make part of that atmosphere of love, so hushed, so soft, on which the soul reposes and is blessed. And yeah, that's the life of Mary Shelley. Woo! Well, it was sad, but it sure was good at the end. And I'm so glad she had at least one child that was so good to her. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of bittersweet because it kind of sounds like her, you know, like the illness that took her sucked. Yeah. What was it again? I'm so sorry. The was it a brain tumor or something? Yeah, it was like some sort of tumor. Oh, I was going to say, it sounds like stroke-like. Yeah, it, it was probably like something that. like that. Yeah, because like she just paralyzed on one side and... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think she was probably at that point, though, okay with it. I mean, she <laughs> she even wrote, you know, when she wasn't even 30, that she was just sick of life and that she had lived enough of it. <laughs> this life is just too damn long, man. <laughs> and, I, and I know things got better for her, but I imagine at, at around 54, she was probably like, cool, my son's doing good. He's a yeah. sir. I've done everything I can. I've repaired my husband's reputation. I have done everything I wanted to do. For real. She got famous in her lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds So good. I yeah. like to think that she was at peace when she went. She was ready. Yeah. I like yeah. to think so, too. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like she was from, from all accounts. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so such a sad story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm... Kind of going to be glad to be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was, it was a lot longer than, than anticipated. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, but but it, it's very interesting, you know, and it, it, I think it really highlights the, I don't know, when we, like, think back to the early 1800s, you know, late 1700s and how life was. Yeah. You know? I mean, and this is life for the people in, like, that upper echelon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, they weren't you know, even, so like... So it's like, Jesus. They weren't even... Uh... And poverty, really. I mean, they were <laughs> they were skirting it. Certainly, yeah, they, a lot of the time. Always skirting but it. <laughs> their talents uh, prevented that. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess in in out of all this, we get one one of the most timeless books. Um, oh yeah, in the horror genre. Yeah, it defined a genre. Really, you know, as we mentioned in the beginning, science fiction as we know it, and it's the Frankenstein movies are still being made today, and they they will never stop. There will always be a generational adaptation of the story in mm-hmm. some form. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And then it elevated people like Boris Karloff and stuff yeah. like that who, you know, were also a phenomenally talented, gracious person, you know. I mean, ev- that's even Stephen King has has a story that's um, inspired by Frankenstein, Revival. Oh, that's right, Revival. Yeah, I, yeah. I read that one. Yeah. <laughs> and the reanimator. I mean... That's more of a Lovecraft thing, but I'm sure Lovecraft drew inspiration from Mary Shelley. Oh, absolutely. For that. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite. Frankenhooker. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Frankenhooker, yeah. That's a good one, too. <laughs> Frankenweenie. Frankenweenie, yeah. Yep. I mean, uh, we could go on and on. I know. The list goes on and on, and mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's a great mm-hmm. story. And, like, who... Like things like Metropolis and like evil scientists and stuff like that. I'm sure that that was greatly influenced by by that. Oh yeah, concepts of for sure influencing science. Yeah, man, it, it makes me want to uh, look at some of our other stuff. Just kind of see those the differences, you know. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm interested in Valperga for sure. Valperga supposed to be good. The Last Man uh, is supposed to be good. I mean, like you know, some people were like, it's it's not. Doesn't have like a lot of literary value, right? Um, but um, it's supposed supposed to be decent, so I like to check yeah. that one out too. I definitely want to explore cool. more of her work for sure. Yeah, no doubt. me too. Yeah. So you guys got any uh, anything else to add or? No, not really. I think uh, <laughs> I think we really covered as much as we could on this subject, you know. And like yeah. the book I was listening to, Mary Shelley. Um, I can't remember the author's name. Miranda Seymour? Yes. That thing's a monster. If you want to really get into some crazy details about just the people around her, like there's one instance where she helped one of her childhood friends pose as a man and helped him her obtain a, a, a passport as a man to move and, and make her fortune because she couldn't make it in the world as a woman. Um, Whoa. You wanna hear about that? Wow. I mean, there's That's so much cool. just little stuff. We can't even scratch the surface of it. And this book yeah. is fantastic for that. If you want more Mary Shelley. There's a lot of cool like episodes, like a couple things didn't like scandals or, you know, like these weird things mm-hmm. that just we didn't even yeah, I didn't even talk like the the one girl that they kind of befriended, the young girl in Italy, who mm-hmm. she was locked away in like a convent school. Yeah. And they yeah. kind of like become close to her and yeah it's all these weird weird things um so yeah if you are interested i would definitely i would recommend the miranda seymour one it seems a little more up to date and a little more um, in depth so yeah and the narrator is really good if you want to listen on audiobook she's she's mm-hmm. great yeah she's very good so all right i guess we should do socials <laughs> <laughs> so you can follow us on facebook at under the pendulum podcast on Instagram at under pendulum podcast on Twitter at pendulum underscore pod. And you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google podcast, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. You can find me Heather 
on Woo. Facebook, Heather Thomas, Instagram, h.n.thomas, Twitter, at Heather W. Thomas. And you can hear my narrations on Creepy, Tales to Terrify, and The Wicked Library. Nice. And you can find me on Instaham at Frothy Star Dog. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Christopher Weber. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll be doing a lighter episode this next one. Yes. So it won't be uh, as depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And sorry sure. that these were so depressing, but uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, we, we had no idea. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, we'll be back with another one, and see you next time. See ya. <laughs>